You know, I don't know uh, about you, but as I've looked through the papers lately and the, the news sources online and wherever I go to get news, it seems like our world has turned more and more evil in ways that I've never heard of before, never imagined before. I was just reading the other day, last week, actually it's Friday, there was a mother in New York in her mid-30s. She was a licensed nurse practitioner who beheaded her seven-year-old son. She beheaded her son. And this is not a Muslim thing. This is not a ISIS thing. This was a mother who just, under some kind of influence, the police said there was zero motive. There were, it was nothing but evil. The father was in the house with two other children. The mother goes in to her child's bedroom, takes the child into the kitchen, and just proceeds to behead the seven-year-old. Now, what mother does that? What professional mother? This is a licensed practitioner, nurse practitioner. You don't, that's, that's not just a nurse. That's somebody almost at a doctor level. It's just evil. Years ago out in San Francisco, an 18-year-old boy beheaded his mother, his 50-year-old mother. When the police showed up on the scene, they found him naked with a Bible open covered with blood. And there was zero motive. They don't know what the motive was. I mean, how do you, how do you behead the person that gave birth to you? How do you behead a child that you gave birth to? Just uh, this past fall up in Fulton County, Georgia, there was a 24-year-old young woman who took her one- and two-year-old, put them inside of a stove, turned the stove on, and killed them. How, how do you explain that? You know, again, the police said it's just pure evil. There's no explanation. You know, people go, well, this kid down in South Florida that went into a high school and shot up the school, he was bullied and picked on. There's been lots of kids bullied and picked on throughout time who haven't gone into schools and shot schools up. You see, I think there's something greater going on than just the human condition. The human condition is messed up. There's no doubt we are flawed. But there is a deeper and a darker force at work in all these things that I've mentioned to you. And it goes on every day. But we live most of our days oblivious to the fact that there is a spiritual world that is going on simultaneously as we live in this physical world. That spiritual world is just as real as any of us in here, as the desk you're sitting at, the chair you're sitting on. And I think we, we are oblivious to it until it confronts us some way, somehow. It's kind of like when you go to a funeral, then you start to think, well, I need to get serious about my faith. And until we see evil right in front of us, manifest, and, and, and some of us may have never really encountered somebody who was demonically possessed or influenced, it's scary. It's really scary. But I want you to think back about a couple of hundred years to a guy named Louis Pasteur. Do you know Louis Pasteur, until he, using a microscope, really did a lot in the area of, of combating germs and, and, and coming up with a vaccine, until he got involved in that, nobody believed that there were little things that could make you sick. They all attributed it to curses, 
you know, poor living, God bringing a curse upon you or something like that. But Louis Pasteur used a microscope and was able to see germs and, and how to combat germs and figured out that if you put things in an open container and just let the environment go, they would tend to grow and create bacteria that were harmful. And so he came up with things that helped deal with that. But prior to him, for, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years, people just, nobody knew about germs. Now, you can't go into a store without seeing antibacterial stuff to fight germs. Think about it. Before Louis Pasteur, they, they, they didn't have antibacterial stuff. Now we got too much. But, but they didn't have that. Why? It was unseen. And because it's unseen, people think that it's not real. But he proved that it was real. How many of you guys, I don't know, might have saw the cult classic, The Matrix, back in the 90s? There's a movie called The Matrix. And it, it really is about two worlds. It's about a dream world and a real world. And there's a quote from that movie, and it's actually, if you Google it, on, it'll come up on Wikipedia now, that what the blue pill and the red pill mean. There was this guy named Morpheus in this movie who was helping a young man, Neo, who was still trapped in that illusionary world. And he was wanting him to see reality. And this is the quote. Listen, here's the pill. You got a red pill and a blue pill. Take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed, you can believe whatever you want to believe. Take the red pill, you stay in this wonderland, and we'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering you is the truth, is what he says. You see, the red pill symbolized knowledge, freedom, and adversity. And the blue pill symbolized falsehood, some kind of superficial happiness and a blissful ignorance. And a lot of people live in a blissful state of ignorance about spiritual warfare. In fact, the very verse that we chose for SWAT is 2 Corinthians 10. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. And, and we're spiritual warriors. You know, I'm not telling everybody in this room to take up AR-15s and prepare for the apocalypse. We're taking up God's Word and asking God to be our source of strength and power as we fight the battles we have to fight on a daily basis. The problem is we get lulled into forgetting that there's a real spiritual battle going on every day. And, and you don't have to look very far to see it. When you see those stories like I told you earlier, it's, uh, it's evil. It's just flat out evil. Even liberal commentators will acknowledge that those things are evil. They can't explain where it comes from. You know, why, why does one mother do that and another mother doesn't? It's evil, and there is an evil influence. And Jerry, I know you've counseled lots of men. And one thing I've seen throughout my 23 years of ministry is, you know, Satan will make men believe that women are attracted to them, and it's the enemy using these women to come in to destroy the witness and the lives of these men that they have affairs with. And I saw that very clearly when I saw a guy, if you just look it up, I remember years ago this guy, I mean, he was a very, uh, what I would call a less than average guy, according to GQ standards, you know. And yet, he had an affair with a lady that looked like she walked off of a magazine. 
And he's scratching his head as we're talking about it. And he's going, why, why, why? I said, because the enemy wanted to take you down. And he used her and he will use anything he can to destroy you. And the problem is when we go through those temptations a lot of times, we don't see the enemy involved in it. We only see the need we want met in our life. And, and so as we go into this passage today in Matthew 12, don't forget what we covered at the end of last week, that Jesus Christ is our, our, our rest He's our rest. We rest in Him. As we go through a spiritual battle, we don't have to worry. We just trust in Him. You know, this passage is interesting in Matthew 12. Matthew 12 deals with two things that I didn't really understand growing up that I'd heard a lot of bad teaching on. One of them is the Sabbath. There is no special day of the week according to the New Testament. Now, we worship on Sundays. But I always grew up being taught, you don't cut grass on Sunday, you don't do anything on Sunday, because that's the Sabbath. We took the Sabbath that God intended as to be a foreshadowing of the rest in Christ, and we took the worship that we are supposed to do when we meet and assemble together as believers, and we combined those two things and created a legalistic mindset for people that brought burdens into our life, just like the Pharisees brought burdens thousands of years ago but it was never what god intended that's what brad and i've been talking about this week on swat radio the sabbath was a foreshadowing of jesus christ and the rest that we would have in him once christ came hebrews 4 says we have rest with him and there's no special day now if you want to take a day of the week and make it your special day to worship go for it that's great but don't tell people that if they don't honor your conviction or your desire to do that that they're in sin because there's nowhere in Scripture that says there's one special day of the week. In fact, they worshiped on most every day in the New Testament. A lot of them did. Well, this section today we're looking at, starting in verse 22, is about the unpardonable sin. There's been a lot of bad teaching about it to make people think and even doubt their salvation. The unpardonable sin that is talked about in this passage today was very peculiar and specific to this time with the Pharisees. Because Jesus Christ was physically walking the earth and the Spirit was manifesting the miracles and all that stuff through Jesus Christ at that moment, revealing who He was. And the Pharisees had seen it all and they attributed His acts to Satan. That's what it meant. Now, blaspheming is something we can do today, and we do blaspheme. You know, and blasphemy is a bad thing. It's not something you want to do. It's something we should be aware of. And it talks about that. But to blaspheme the Holy Spirit the way it's talking about here was peculiar to this time period, to this time where Jesus was walking the earth. And so we're going to go through today, and we're going to look at this passage 22 through 50. And as we look at it, I want you to see that God reminds us, first of all, that our lives are influenced by two worlds. I've already talked about the spiritual world, but our lives every day are influenced by two worlds. There's a spiritual world and there's an earthly physical world. And whether we acknowledge the spiritual world or not, it still bears an influence on our life every day, first of all. Second, God reminds us that our actions ultimately prove the world that we're loyal to. 
Third, our rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior results in God's rejection of us. Plain and simple. If we reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God says he rejects us. And then fourth, our greatest need is a relationship with Jesus, not a rehab project. That's our greatest need, guys. It's not to clean up your life, it's to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so let's read this and we're going to come back and we're going to look at each one of these and, and just make a few observations. Starting in verse 22, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and he saw. And all the people were amazed and they said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out a demon by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered and said, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Now when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and they dwell there, and they, the last state of that person is worse than the first. 
so also will it be with this, gen this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Then he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand his towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. May God bless the reading of his word. So, what happens is Jesus comes off of, you know, healing this withered man's hand. He gives us teaching on Isaiah. He's the rest. And then the Pharisees are right there. The Pharisees, they're having, it's a climax of rejection right here. Remember they had said they were raging in fury. They were trying to see how to destroy him. And, and so what does he do? He heals a demon-oppressed man. Now, Jesus had healed demon-possessed men before. We saw that. He cast them into the pigs, remember? He'd healed a blind person before. But what's interesting here is this demon-oppressed man, was he blind? And he was mute. There's something important about that, I think, in this passage. You see, the Pharisees were blind. They couldn't see the truth. And they were mute. They couldn't speak the truth. They were speaking bad stuff. And if you look in this passage, look at how many times it talks about words and speech. And so it's no coincidence that Matthew focuses on a mute and a blind guy to heal here and says, hey, Jesus healed him and the crowd was amazed. And what did they do? They start saying, wait a minute. This is not from God. This is not God. This is Beelzebub. This is satanic. God's reminding us here that this world that we live in, we've got two worlds going on. We've got the spiritual and we've got the earthly. They recognized right here in this passage that what Jesus was doing was not of this earth. Do you get that? There's only two explanations. If it's not of this earth, it's either from God or it's from Satan. One of the two. And so they don't want to attribute it to God, and so they attribute it to Satan. And Jesus counters them with three arguments. Basically, He says, first of all, that's ridiculous. Satan's not going to cast out Satan. A house divided is going to fall. It's not going to stand. The second argument is, your sons are doing this. Jewish exorcists were going around exercising, supposedly exercising demons out of people. And so Jesus says, if they're doing it, how's that different from what I'm doing? And the third thing he says is, listen, if I'm powerful enough to cast him out, that means I'm the stronger one. I'm greater. So he makes these three arguments to, to kind of tell them that, listen, this is not from Satan. This, this, is, um, this is not satanic at all. It's from God. And you're witnessing that and his condemnation at the end of this, the first section is that you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to blaspheme? Well, it means speak evil against God. It means to speak evil against God. And if you go back in the book of Leviticus and look, the penalty in Leviticus 24 verses 14 through 16 is that when somebody cursed God or spoke evil against God, they were stoned. So, I mean, it wasn't just the Spirit back then, it was God. You spoke against God, you were stoned. What's interesting to me down at the end of the passage down there, he says, 
You know, you could speak a word against the Son of Man. He uses that human term. You know what that term represents? When he uses that term, what did I say a few weeks ago about that term, Son of Man? It means Jesus in his humiliation. Jesus stepping away from the power of his deity, from the Father being there with the Father to come to earth in a human form. And Jesus is saying here, if you speak against that, because you look at me and you see me in this human body, I understand that. That that can be forgiven. But what will not be forgiven is when you look at all these supernatural works that have been done through me as I fulfilled all the prophecies that were prophesied hundreds of years ago by God's men throughout history, and I do it right in front of you, and I teach you, and you attribute that to Satan. That is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, and it's unpardonable. And it's unpardonable for this reason. Because when, when you are saying that the very one that can deliver your soul is from Satan, I mean, think about it. What, what is required for salvation? First of all, it's a gift. We know it's a gift from God, but what's required on our part? What are we to do? What did, what, when Jesus came to earth, what did He do? He, what, what was His mission? He preached repentance. Yeah, He preached repentance though. Repentance and belief. When, when the people turned in Acts and said, what must we do? What did Peter say? Repent and believe. Repentance was always a part. So if they believe that the very one who is the Messiah is satanic, how are they going to repent to Him? They can't. That's why it's unpardonable. That's why they can't come to Him. They can't ex exercise faith in Him because they've already rejected Him. And so this blasphemy thing is something, I mean, when we recognize that God brings truth in our life, we, we can commit blasphemy today. We can blaspheme God. People do that all the time. It says in Colossians 3 that, you know, you were blasphemers. Paul says, I was a blasphemer. But there's a difference between the kind of blaspheming he's talking about, the kind of blaspheming we do, and what he's talking about right here. They are attributing the works that the Spirit was doing with Jesus. Because remember, Jesus was in His humiliated state there. And the Spirit was manifesting these miracles. The Holy Spirit was revealing Jesus as Messiah, and they rejected it. That's why it was unpardonable. And so, but there's these two worlds going on. And, and sometimes I think we forget that and we blaspheme today. And here's how some ways we blaspheme. God, that's not fair. You let me down. I hate you, God. I hate Jesus. Why did you do that, God? Why did you let that happen? Understandable, but it's still blasphemy because you're standing in judgment of God. You're judging God. Listen, our forgiveness is based on repentance and faith in Christ. And the reason that their blasphemy was unforgivable is because they rejected Him. And they knew there were two worlds. They knew they were influenced by two worlds. And they knew the only two sources of those influences is God and Satan. And they took what God sent and said, this is from Satan. So that's why it was unforgivable. They said he was from Beelzebub, which was basically a Philistine or Canaanite idol. 
So what does that mean for us? Well, you know, first, I think one takeaway from that first section for us is 1 John 2.15 says, you cannot love the world and love God with the same unconditional love. You can't. And guys, we have to recognize that there is an unseen world around us that is doing everything it can to try to destroy our witness and destroy our life. And if you don't believe that, ask yourself this question, why is it so hard for me to read the Bible? Why is it so hard for me to get time alone with God? Why is it so hard for me to want to be part of a group of guys that come around the Word of God? Why? Why does it always seem like there's something else that can take place? Good things. Because these things don't take a priority. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. He does everything and anything to try to distract us from being unified as a body of Christ doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is making disciples. It is one of the hardest things every pastor I talk to, one of the hardest things they ever have to do is to make disciples and get the guys of the church to make disciples. It's incredible. Why? Because the enemy is bringing this. But we cannot say we love God unconditionally when we choose to ignore and allow the world to be the thing that dominates our time. And what is the love of the world? He says in 1 John 2, 16, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. The lust of the eyes is when you see something that you got to have that occupies your time that you didn't even know existed two weeks ago. In other words, you're driven to try to get something that you didn't need, but you got to have it. you got to have that. You need it. You really need it. It's the lust of the eyes. And so that tends to drive you. The other thing is the lust of the flesh. When, when you are not getting your needs met, for whatever reason, you turn to your own uh, medicine, whatever that is, alcohol, drugs, women, power, job, whatever. Fill in the blank. But that's the lust of the flesh. I'll take care of myself. I'll take care of myself. And then the last thing is the boastful pride of life. That's getting your pride and your security from what you do and what you own. That's what it says, what a man has and what he does. And if those things drive you, then you are allowing the enemy to do exactly what he wants you to do. And that's, he owns you with those things. We're too influenced by two worlds. The question is, what are we going to do? Well, he says, listen, which tree are you going to be? Make the tree good or make it bad. Out of the heart is what comes, good fruit or bad fruit. And he's saying there that our actions ultimately prove where our loyalties lie. So we can talk about it all day long. First John 3 says, listen, don't say that you love Jesus if you continue a pattern of disobedience. You can't keep disobeying Christ. Well, I'm not, I'm not breaking any of the Ten Commandments. There's more to it than just the Ten Commandments. Christ is so much more than just the Ten Moral Commandments He gave us in the Old Testament. Those are important, but there's a lot. Do you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Do you love your children and teach them and instruct them and bring them up in the ways of the Lord? Yeah, but they don't want to listen to me. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do. You're not held responsible for what they do. You're held responsible for what you do. And, and I was talking to a guy this week. And I was talking to him and he was struggling with one of his kids. I said, why don't you invite him and come to a SWAT group? No, he won't come. 
I said, just invite him. No, he just, I'm just telling you, he won't come. I'm like, I'm going to pray. You just invite him because I'm asking you to invite him. But we get so discouraged and so upset and we allow the enemy to come in and speak into our lives and we just decide we give up. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's our kids. Our actions prove which world are we going to believe? Do we believe that the God of all creation is our Lord and our Father? Do we believe that that God can speak it and can make anything happen? Listen, I, I struggle with my flesh just like you guys do. And uh, two days ago, I was going through my email, and there's a guy who's been a donor for probably 15 years. And he is a credit card monthly donor, and his credit card expired. And I, so I, I, I sent him an email and told him about it. And he said, yeah, you know, I'm out of the country. I'll be back in a week. This was three weeks ago, and I'll take care of it. Well, it's been two weeks since then. And so I'm, I hit the email. I see the email, and I go, you know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to start typing him an email. Hey, how's your trip? Hope it was great. Let's chat next week. And, I, and if he sees that, he'll know, and he'll redo the credit card. That's what I'm thinking. As I'm sitting there typing that, I'm going, you're just manipulating him. That's wrong. I said, that's nothing but manipulation. I deleted the email and I said, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. You have been so good at providing for me. I pray, Lord, you move in his heart. I don't, I don't want to manipulate anybody. You're the source of all my provision. So, Lord, when you, if you want him to be a provider, then you provide through him. I don't, I don't want to have to be the one to remind him. That was 6.30 on Monday morning. By 8.30, he had responded with an email. Hey, I am so sorry. I just, it slipped my mind last week. Uh, here's my credit card. I want you to, whatever was missed, make sure that's right. And then uh, just start doing it again every month. And God did it. Not because I manipulated the system. Did, do you really think that it's coincidence that that happened at 6.30 and by 8.30 there was an email in my box? He had a week to do that. You see, there's, God is constantly showing us there's an unseen world and there's a seen world. And our actions are going to prove which world we are part of. Galatians 5.22 says what? The fruits of the Spirit. These are things, guys, that God is doing in our life and those are the actions you know, love and joy and peace. You mean even when somebody cuts me off? Even when somebody cuts you off in traffic. You confess it and you say, Lord, help me to love this person. I don't know what's going on in their life. Well, he goes on to say, some of the scribes go, hey, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And they really didn't want to see a sign. They'd already in their minds rejected him. They were wanting to trap him and expose him. And what Jesus does in this is He gives them two examples from the Old Testament. The Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba. The Ninevites were a pagan generation that Jonah did not want to go to. And what Jesus says is He says, listen, you're not, an evil and adulterous generation, that was a term used to describe Israel when the, they were wandering and the way they were turning to idols instead of God. And He says, you're always seeking a sign. Skeptics always seek a sign. The believers see the signs that are there. And so he, he says to them, the only sign you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. Three days and three nights. He's talking about the resurrection. 
He's saying that's the only sign you're going to see. And it is the hinge point for us. It is the testimony. But what's stinging for the, the Pharisees there is he uses two Gentile pagan examples, the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba. They came, they acknowledged, and you didn't. That, that was a stinging rebuke of them. The Ninevites came and repented because of Jonah's preaching. Somebody greater than Jonah's here. Jonah was a prophet. The Queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Somebody greater than Solomon's here. So, so listen, in this, remember in the first section he talked about he's greater than the temple. So he's greater than the priest. He's greater than the uh, king. He's greater than the prophet. He's the Messiah. He's God. And he's saying to them, listen, they're going to condemn you. They're going to condemn you at the judgment. You know why? Because you had all this and you rejected it. It makes me think of that passage in Luke 16, you know, where the, the rich man and Lazarus are there. And the rich man and Lazarus, they, they, they both die. And the rich man goes, oh, let me go tell my brothers. I just want my tongue to, to, to be refreshed. It's so hot and miserable here. But I want to go warn my brothers so they will turn. What does God say? He says, they have the prophets and Moses. And if they don't believe that, they're not going to believe a ghost. Guys, do you realize that we have this? 2,000 years people have tried to destroy this. 2,000 years they've tried to discredit this. No archaeological or historical discovery has ever discredited it. It's always affirmed it. Over 40 different writers, over 1,400 years, one message from beginning to end that Jesus Christ is the salvation of mankind. Jesus Christ is the only thing that can redeem us to a relationship with God. That's the message. And Jesus tells them, your rejection of Jesus as Lord and Savior, your rejection of Messiah is resulting in your condemnation and rejection by God in heaven. Basically, I don't know if you remember, but back in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 40, it was that judicial blindness where they moved from a point where they would not believe till they could not believe because God blinded them and hardened their hearts. That's that rejection. He rejects them. It's a scary thing to continually reject truth. Now, for us, most of us in here have acknowledged Christ. I don't want to assume that everybody has, but hopefully we all have. But do you know God brings truth into our life every day? And as a believer, if you continually reject the truth that God brings, whatever it's regarding to, whether it's your kids, your wife, your own personal uh, relationship with Him, He steps up the discipline in your life to make you understand that He's trying to conform you to the image of His Son. I've had some pretty bad spankings in my, you know, 50-something years. And I'll promise you, you'd much rather learn it from His Word than from His, you know, His discipline. But the problem with a lot of what we deal with here in our country is people have this idea that they can fix up the outside. And I didn't really understand this passage in verse 43 where it talks about the unclean spirit goes and it passes through waterless places. And then it says, I'll return. But what I think it's saying in 43 through the end of the chapter is that our greatest need is not to rehab our life. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That first little section 43 and 40 through 45 is saying you can clean up the outside, but what's going to happen is the one spirit that goes away is going to bring seven back. 
Because if, if you're still empty on the inside, if it doesn't have Jesus on the inside, then you can do all the 12-step, alcohol is anonymous, prison rehab, everything you think of to conform the outside. Tony Robbins, it doesn't matter. Pick your poison. Any of those things that focus on the external, without Jesus on the inside, it's, it's, it's just going to get worse. And to be honest with you, sometimes mor morality can be more dangerous than immorality because when you're immoral, you know you need a Savior. Some of the hardest people in the world to reach are moral people. They're good people. They do good things. You know what Romans 14 says? It says that if it's not from faith, it's sin. Anything you do, if it's not from faith and trust in Jesus, it's sin. I want to close with this section in Ephesians 2. By the way, the family part up there is talking about the relationship. And, and Jesus is affirming that the relationship we have with Him supersedes every other relationship in our life. He is making that statement and He's, he's saying it. Those who do the will of my Father, how do you do the will of the Father? You can't do the will of the Father without the Holy Spirit in you. You can't. The Spirit has to lead you and illuminate to you. But flip over to Ephesians 2. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. What can a dead person do? They can't clean up their life. You were dead in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Do you know who's the leader of this world? Satan. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised and he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. Not one person in this room came to Jesus on their own. Nobody. Nobody in the world. So that no one may boast. It's a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. You know what I want to say to the guys who's just, I've been to Bible study, man. I've been to Bible studies before. I just don't have time right now. I just want to ask them, who are you discipling? Who are you sharing Christ with? You are created for good works. The good works is the good works of spreading and witnessing of who Jesus is because we have a world that desperately needs to know who Jesus is. I can't believe that that woman who beheaded her daughter or her son, I mean, didn't have somebody around them and maybe somebody's going to minister to that father and those kids that are left. Maybe that woman up in Georgia, maybe, maybe Dave, she'll go to jail and meet somebody there that really has an encounter with Jesus. 
The question is, guys, do we know that we live in two worlds? Are we, are we loyal to Jesus above our fleshly and earthly and material desires? Are we rejecting him? Not eternally. For most of us, the rejection may just be on a daily basis. He brings us invitations and we turn him down. He wants to spend time with us. I still have time, Lord. Man, I need more time. This is not a guilt trip either. I'm not putting you on a guilt trip. I'm just saying, it's like I was talking to this guy before I came and he was feeling, man, I've blasphemed God. I've, I've complained to God and do this. I said, you know what he wants? All he wants is you to acknowledge that, repent, and then come to him in humility and say, thank you for the cross. Thank you that that debt is paid. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And realize that our greatest need, guys, is not to clean up our act, to go do these good works. It's simply to walk in relationship with Jesus. And the question is, are we walking with Him? Are we walking with Him? I can't answer it. You're the only person in the world that can answer that. Because every, you can fool everybody, but you can't fool Jesus and you can't fool God. And my prayer is, is that when you walk out that door, more than anything else, you know that He wants you to walk with Him and He's willing to walk with you. And it's a process. You know, the unpardonable sin for us, for us, is rejection. It's rejection. Just rejecting Christ eternally and rejecting His what He did for us. So I hope that helped you with understanding that. I hope that was encouraging for you to think through in your own life. And I appreciate you guys being here today. Amos, will you close?